Friday, April 7th, 2023, eight men in San Pedro Coutude, Philippines, had crowns of thorns placed upon their head and carried heavy wooden crosses over a half a mile uphill in scorching heat, where they then laid them down while villagers who were dressed up as Roman centurions took four-inch stainless steel nails and nailed their hands and feet to the crosses and lifted them up in a ritual that is universally condemned by Protestant and Catholic churches in the area, and yet it's a ritual, a gory ritual that persists year after year in the Philippines. Reuben Anahe, a 62-year-old sign painter, was nailed to a wooden cross for the 34th time this last April. Ahead of his crucifixion, he told the Associated Press, to be honest, I always feel nervous because I could end up dead on the cross. And when I'm laid down on the cross, my body begins to feel cold. He said, and when my hands are tied, I just close my eyes and tell myself before the nails come, he says, I tell myself, I can do this. I can do this. The, the incredibly impoverished village that these men come from, they say there's different reasons why they choose to be crucified. Some is to give thanks for a miracle or to pray for the sick, but more often than not, it is to pay for their sins. And many like Anahe find that once isn't enough and does it over and over and over again every year. What can wash away my sins? You know, some people are so overwhelmed by their sin, they will do anything, literally anything, to be rid of that guilt. While others are so overwhelmed by their sins, they think that there is no escaping it, and they will take their own lives because they don't believe they can be forgiven. They don't believe they can start over. They don't believe there can be another chapter. What can wash away my sin? It's one of the biggest questions that many people ask. In fact, maybe you've experienced this. There's two kinds of truly terrifying dreams. These are not the dreams where you're being chased by a monster or it ends with you falling off into this black abyss and then you're startled awake. No, the most terrifying dreams are those that you wake up from and you think, what have I done? And then you realize you're in bed and you're like, oh, I didn't do that. It was just a dream. But some of you have had the worst kind of dream, and that is you wake up just like that, and you say, it was just a dream, and then you remember, oh, no. It wasn't just a dream. It was a remembering dream, and that actually happened. And I will never get rid of it. What can wash away my sin. Every religion in the world tries to tackle this question. Even the secular belief systems, they, they have different answers. They say, well, you know, the problem actually isn't the sin. The problem is that you're feeling bad about it. And maybe through some psychological tricks, you can pretend it's not there. Many times, not always, but sometimes drug abuse 
alcoholism, what, what is it, what is driving it? What's driving it is I want to forget because nothing seems to wash away my sin. And no matter what I do, and no matter, maybe there's certain conversations that if it turns in that direction, all of a sudden you get hot, your palms get sweaty, and you think, I, I, it's reminding me, it's too close. There may be people that you don't see anymore, places you don't ever go or ever want to go back to again. Because of your sin. We're in this series, Starting Point, and we're dealing with some of the basic issues of Christianity. And the first sermon in the series was about uh, why do you believe what you believe? You know, what you believe is great, but maybe why you believed it as a kid really isn't a good enough why anymore, because your parents said so, because that's the way you were raised. Maybe even as an adult, you had a feeling, you had an experience, and, and that's what, what helped you come to faith, but now you've had another experience, and you have another feeling, and, and that original, it kind of cancels it out, and that's not a good enough why. We talked about there is a why, there is a foundation, there is a rock that you can build your faith upon that's greater than maybe what you, what, why you believed what you believed in the past. And we've talked about other aspects of, of Christianity, like what is the role of rules and, and the fact that we're not mistakers, we're sinners, and it's much worse than a mistake, and it's much bigger than that. And, and so the, we're tackling today this idea of forgiveness. What can wash away my sin? And people try so many things, and they try working it off, and they try punishing themselves. We used to have a pastor in our church, and he's out in Indiana now, Rich Clark. And he talked about how before he accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, he would go out on the weekend to a bar, and he would pick a fight with the biggest, baddest guy he could find. And if he couldn't find a guy big enough, he'd, he'd pick on several guys. And almost every weekend, he'd get beat up. And he said, I, I wanted to unload my own rage on this man or these men. But more than anything, I was mad at myself. And I felt like I needed to be punished. And that was how I did it. What can wash away my sin? The truth is, Experiencing personal forgiveness for personal sins is often the starting point for personal faith. And, and what I don't want to talk about today is feeling like you're forgiven. Okay, that, that's kind of like a superficial thing, and I know it drives many of us, and we just want to get rid of the feeling. But what I want to talk about is not just feeling forgiven, but actually completely and permanently being forgiven. And having your sin totally washed away and taken away. And that, 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 that desire for forgiveness can be a starting point that drives us toward personal faith. And this is true not just now, but it was true really right, right back in Jesus' time as well. Um, I want to say this is how Mark starts off, but I forgot the first verse. So here's the first verse of Mark 1. Here begins the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Here's the good news, Mark says. Let me back up 700 years. <laughs> In the book of the prophet Isaiah, God said, Look, I'm sending my messenger before you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. So Isaiah said, and other prophets of the Old Testament, Malachi also says this, but they said, Before the Messiah comes, Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's a title. 
It means Messiah, the anointed one, the, 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 the Savior. And so they were looking for a Savior. And Isaiah said, before the Savior comes, God is going to send a messenger to get people ready. And this messenger was John the Baptist. And he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. That's what we want, isn't it? That's what everyone wants, among other things, to be forgiven. And so it says all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. Everybody. And they went out. Why? Because they wanted to be forgiven. They didn't go out to hear John because he was this really feel-good preacher. It says, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. In case you haven't, like, if you're not familiar with the kind of preaching John would do, just want to read you a little bit of what, what John, this is a John sermon. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming day of wrath? Prove, prove the way you live by how, how you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to be sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire of hell. That's John's preaching. And tens of thousands of people, maybe even 100,000, 200,000 people went out to hear John. Not all at once, but he preached over several years of time. We don't even know how long, maybe a decade. And, and he was an interesting character. He was a Nazarene from birth, which means he never cut his hair. And by the time this is around, he's like 30 years old, never cut his hair. And uh, he ate, his, most of his protein came from grasshoppers. And he wore camel hair outfits, which means they were very rough. And, and I don't know if he made them himself. They probably weren't very pretty. So what did people go out to see? Like some sharp, dressed, ear-tickling, inspirational, feel-good preacher? No, they got the exact opposite. But why? Why would they go and hear? And he would point people out. He says, you know, what are you doing here? Fleeing the you vipers, fleeing the coming day of wrath, you know. And man, they went out because people went out and heard and they said, I'm forgiven. You know, the path to forgiveness in the Old Testament, and at this point, this is Old Testament because Jesus hasn't died yet, right? That's when the new covenant, when the new promise kicks in is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so this is kind of Old Testament time here, even though it's in the New Testament. But this is, this is the Old Covenant. How were you saved in the Old Testament? The same way you're saved in the New Testament. It's by, by turning to God and asking Him to forgive your sins and giving him your life. And that, that's, that's what they were doing. And as a sign of them doing that publicly, he would, he would baptize them in the Jordan River. And he told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. They were asking John, are you the Savior? You got the crowds. You got the people's attention. Something's happening. This is like new. We haven't seen a prophet like you in over 400 years. Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Savior? And he said, I, I am not. There's someone coming. And though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. So in ancient Middle Eastern thought, the first 
is always greater than those who follow. Okay, so if you have two prophets, Elijah, who's first, and then he anoints Elijah to follow his ministry, even though Elijah did twice as many miracles, everybody would tell you Elijah is greater. Why? Because he was first. You have Moses and then his mentor, Joshua, who was greater? Moses, because Moses is first. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who's greater? The, the father, Abraham, or the son, Isaac, or the grandson, Jacob? It'd be Abraham, the father. The first is always the greatest. And John is saying, God is about to do something different. He's going to flip this on its head. He's going to flip the whole world on its head. And, and I am coming, I'm, I'm preceding him, but I am like way beneath him. Like I'm not even worthy to be a slave that, that touches his dirty foot. Like that's how great this one who's coming will be. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and for, for us today, some of you might know what this means, but a lot of us, it wouldn't be so obvious necessarily. What is he talking about? Lamb of God. Lambs are innocent creatures, right? They're not even predators. Animals, they can't sin. They just do what they're programmed to do. But in particular, domesticated, uh, grass-eating animals are are a great illustration of innocence that God used with the Jewish people for hundreds and hundreds of years. Because what they were supposed to do, because of their sin, they would take a cow, sometimes a pigeon or a dove or a, or a goat, but many times a lamb. And in particular, a lamb was particularly innocent because if you've had cows, you know they can be cranky. Okay, And a cow can really hurt you. But a lamb, the picture of innocence and, and what they were to do every single day in the temple, year after year, century after century, for over a thousand years, was to take this cute little lamb, white, had to be white and pure, not a blemish on it, and take a knife and slit its throat. And then pour the blood out and then take that blood and coat it on the horns of the altar and put it on, on the priest's thumbs and put it on his big toes. And then they take it and they wave it and they splatter blood everywhere. And there's flies and it's black and because it gets old and crusty. And, and, and year after year, day after day, this is what they do. They kill these innocent creatures in violent ways and in bloody, disgusting ways to remind themselves of how awful their sin is. And if you are a guilty person, another guilty person can't pay for your sins. They got to pay for their own. So who can pay when everybody's guilty? The innocent. You kill an innocent lamb. But the thing about a lamb's blood, it would cover. It wouldn't take away. So you had to keep doing it. And someone had to keep paying because it just covered. And, and John is saying, he's saying, behold, the Lamb of God. There doesn't need to be another. He's not one of, of a whole long string of them. There's been millions sacrificed or whatever. No, he's like, he is the Lamb of God. And he's not just going to cover the sin. He's going to take it away. And he's not just going to take away the sin of the Jews, which is what the sacrifices would do. He's going to take away the sin of the world, of everyone. You see, Jesus 
didn't just have a solution for your sin. He is the solution for your sin. And that is so very, very different than what most religions teach. Most religions teach, you know, we got to go halfway. In fact, Christian religions that don't really follow what God's words say, but just have kind of lapsed into the typical religious thing, say, you know what? Yeah, Jesus paid for your sins, but, but you got to do your part too. No, you are not a lamb of God that with Jesus will take away your sin. He is the lamb, the only one. You know, if our greatest need was information, God would have sent an educator. People's problem today isn't that they don't know. It's deeper than that. It's worse than that. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent us a scientist. And with all our technology, that hasn't fixed our problem, has it? It just made us better at doing it, more efficient. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. I brought some uh, red apple paint, kind of to represent sin. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we get sin on ourselves, right? And uh, I should untuck my shirt. We get sin on ourselves and we're like, what, what am I going to do about that? Right? And, and you try to wipe it off and you're like, no, wait a minute, I can't wipe it off. Like, all right, now I got, and so then maybe we get somebody's help. There's some of you, and you've paid someone $200 an hour to help you get over your guilty feelings. And so then you try to, you know, maybe that'll help, right? And, and it, just, it just gets worse. And, and, and you're like, oh my, you know, and maybe you go and, and you like, you, you said something terrible to someone and you're like, I can't believe I said that. I need to go back. I need to make it right. And so you go back to kind of fix it. And, and then in that conversation, they say the meanest, worst things to you. And then you go off on them again. And, and, then, and then it's, it's and it's, you, you, we can't fix our sin. Or maybe you're like the 62-year-old sign painter, Ruben Anahe. And you have tried over and over to punish yourself and pay for your sin, but it just never seems to go away. And that's because what can wash away our sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away that sin. And um, this is what it says in Colossians. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. How good are dead people at fixing things? How, how good are dead people at solving solutions? Not good at all. Dead people can't do anything. Law of biogenesis, this is scientific. Dead things do not come to life. They do not. And so we need to understand that our position before God and our, our position with our sin is we are dead we're not, you, dead people aren't going to, you know what? I'm going to help that dead guy, but only if he comes halfway. No, 10%. No, zero. Dead people do nothing. And so he's saying, this is our condition. We are spiritually dead. We can't do anything. And your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. 
And he canceled the record of the charges against you and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That took it away is the same word that that Mark uses about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, so often with our sin, we think the problem is, you know what, I just, what I need to do is I just need to cover it up. Or I just need to fix this one stain. If I could just get a patch here, Right, so, so often, like if I can just stop that one addiction, like then my life would be great. If I could just get a hold of my anger, you know, and I didn't go off like that, like if I could just control my anger, then everything would be fine. I don't want God to change my whole life. I just want him to fix my anger. I just want him to help me to just hold my tongue and not say those awful things. And, or if he could fix my marriage and if I could reconcile and if I could do the right thing by her, then, then everything will be fine. But what Jesus came to do when he died on the cross is not to cover over your sin. He came. He said, oh, I'm going to lose my mic. There we go. Where'd the mic go? There it is. There it is. I should have practiced this. He, he wants to take it away, right? I'm never going to wear this shirt again. You know, I'm just going to throw it away because um, that, that's, that's what God wants to do with your life. He doesn't want to, like, tweak your life. In fact, this, this is why so many people, I think, just struggle with this because we just think we need a tweak. If I could just, if God could just fix that one thing, Maybe take away that one particular desire. And he says, I'm not going to take away the desire. I just want to give you a whole new life and a way of living, even if you still have that desire. I want, I want your life to be mine. Um, if you have never asked Jesus to do that, I'm, I, I have a, another point I want to cover, so don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not faking you out. We're not ending the service now, but I, I do want to pray a prayer of salvation and forgiveness. If you have never come to God and said, you know what, I can't save myself. I've, I've tried, and I've just made a mess. I, I am going to accept Jesus, your death for me. I'm not going to meet you halfway. I just, in humility, I just need you to take it all, take it away. And then out of gratitude to say, now, now you have my life. Old Testament verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. If you're ready to give your life to God, if you're ready to be forgiven, Maybe for the first time, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to be my lamb, the lamb for me. And he was a lamb that doesn't have to keep getting crucified over and over again. Once for all. And uh, I just ask that he would take my sins on the cross, nail them to the cross, God. And God, in, in response, I don't want you just to tweak my life. I give you my whole life. I want to trust you and follow you. 
and become a follower of you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to just close with this. This is a misunderstanding that, that a lot of people have. Um, you don't have to forgive yourself. So a lot of people talk about this. They, they say, you know, I just, I just can't forgive myself, or I need to learn how to forgive myself. And this is, this is not really accurate thinking. There's guilt. We use the word guilt in two ways. And one way, use the word guilt in a legal sense. As in, are you declared guilty or innocent? And if you're declared innocent, then you are legally absolved, right? You are not guilty anymore. You're, you can go, go free. If you're declared innocent in a court of law, it's not that you have to do half the amount of time, right? You are completely forgiven. And you can't be retried, right? So, so we use the word guilt in a legal sense, and that is how the Bible uses that word. But then we also use the word guilt in an emotional sense, and we say, well, I may have been declared guilty, but I, I still feel guilty. And what do we do about that feeling? And I think this is what people mean when they say, you know, I need to forgive myself. But, but there is a, a pride at work when we talk about forgiving ourselves that needs to be addressed and confronted. Because, because if, if God has... For, two, two ways... Um, this, this pride. The, the one is if, if um, a lot of times people actually will even go to church with this in mind because they'll go to church in order to feel guilty. So you feel guilty for about an hour and then you leave and you feel better because you went through that hour of guilt you atoned, you did some penance, you paid a little bit for your sin by sitting through an hour of feeling guilty, and that's helped pay for your sin, and you feel a little bit better about your sin now that you're, 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 you've gone through that. Okay, that, that, that is not, that is not, that is, that is pride at work, saying, I need to do, what, what did that painter Anahe say, Reuben Anahe? I can do this. I can do this. I can be nailed to a cross. I can pay for my sins a little bit. And often we use guilt or we, we, we think our guilt will somehow help pay for our sins. And we need to realize that's pride. You can't pay for your sin at all. And humility, you got to let Jesus pay for it. But the other side of it, I think, is even more arrogant. And that is, even though the judge of all the earth has declared me innocent, there is a judge above God. And it's me. And I do not declare myself innocent. And my judgment supersedes and is greater than God's judgment. And so I need to forgive myself because I'm the judge. No, you're not. And it's freeing. It is so freeing to not be the judge. You're not the judge of anybody else, although we want to do that. You're not the judge of you either. You don't have to forgive yourself because the real judge has already forgiven you if you've asked him to and if you've given him your life. And so it's so important to recognize this and then, because then we got to live like we're forgiven. If, if you are forgiven, what does that look like? I think this is a great question to ask and to talk about in your small group this week. 
What does it look like to live forgiven? And if you're not in a small group and you're watching online, you can fill out one of those online communication cards if you log in. If you're here, we have that, that as you came in on the, the little round table, there's that, that blue welcome pack or whatever card. You can fill that in, put that at the, the welcome center. And if you're, you're at Hancock, same thing. You can get one of those cards and hand that in to the guy that's going to close out the service in a little bit. Um, and, and we will connect you with a small group. We will give you options, actually. We'll give you options of, hey, there, here's some options to go to and to be a part of. And, and it, it's really helpful to talk through some of these things that we're talking about here, that I'm talking about to all of you. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What does it look like then to live and be forgiven. Is there generosity there? Because, man, God has been so generous to me. Is there peace? Is there love? Is there joy? And, and I know sometimes we don't feel certain emotions, but we, we need to tell ourselves the truth about, about the state of our lives and about who God is and about who we are in Christ and live forgiven. Um. I need to close. I, I did want to mention this just briefly. I, I just increasingly am just struck by the evil and chaos in the world. The world is on fire. Um, Israel, Ukraine, have we forgotten about Afghanistan? Uh, like all, all, all over the world, there is, I, I'm used to, I was texted someone this week and I said, I'm used to a static contained evil, right? The Cold War. I, I remember the Cold War and it, it was bad, but it was predictable. But now it's on so many fronts. It's on economic fronts. It's on social fronts. It's, on, it's in media. It's in literal war. It's in crime. It's in addiction. It's in suicide at record rates in our country. Like, it's on so many fronts. And there's only one solution. Jesus. And there's only one thing we can really do to help. And that's to follow Jesus with all your heart in the way God has made you. Like, and for some guys, and we have men that are, we got, we got a, a man in our church that's in Poland right now, in the military, other men all over the world, women as well, doing, doing what they can do. But for us, what can we do? Whatever, whatever God has called you to do, wherever God has called you to do it, to follow Jesus Christ and to live like you're forgiven to a world that desperately needs forgiveness. Heavenly Father, I just, I just pray for repentance. Lord, I pray for a turning away of sin, not an embracing of it. I guess that's the first step. Some people, it seems like they, they don't even want forgiveness. They, they, they just... But Lord, I just ask that you would help us to first of all, Lord, I know that there's some here that have not yet ready to be forgiven. Not yet ready, maybe to be forgiven, but not to give you their lives. And I just ask that today would be the day. And God, that we wouldn't go from here business as usual, but that we would, we would live like we're forgiven. We would live like no one else. 
and bring hope and light to a world that is so hopeless and so dark. God, I just thank you that you're here in the room with us, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I thank you so much for Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.